Hey guys, welcome to the Fleet Geek Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Peterson, and on this show, we will dive into all kinds of topics that are in my life, from my running and tech careers, to music, sports, social issues, and even some guests from time to time. Before we get started, I just want to tell you all about uh, Anchor by Spotify. Anchor is a site created by Spotify that has all the tools you need to create, edit, and publish your podcast. I've been playing around with it for a bit now, and I love how simple it is to get new episodes out there to you guys. It really is easy. I just use my PC's built-in voice recorder app and a microphone, record and import my audio into Anchor, and then I edit, add music, add sounds, and even, coming soon, I can add listener messages and publish them right from my browser. Head on over to anchor.fm to get started today. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Hope you all enjoy the show, and thanks for stopping by. Here we go. What's up, Fleet Geeks? I'm Ben, and welcome to episode 5 of the Fleet Geek Podcast, found on your favorite podcast hosting service. I've got a lot to talk about today in several disciplines. It's going to be a long one. Today is Friday, February 3rd, and it's a chilly one out there today. Um, Made some... You know, got some, had some ice this week, some frigid temperatures, and it's made for some tricky uh, travel, but overall it's been a good week. I hope y'all are doing well. Uh, Let's dive right into it, shall we? Um, Let's just get into some life updates for me. Uh, Gosh, life has just been fun for me, honestly. Um, Getting towards the final stages of wedding planning uh, with my fiance, Riley. I'm learning a lot in my IT career, and I'm uh, starting to build some fitness towards my running goals for this year. Let's start with uh, let's start with some wedding planning uh, updates. Uh, we've nailed down a lot of the major details. Um, it's mostly just the smaller things now that we're ironing out. Um, we picked out wedding decor over the past weekend, and my wedding band came in. Uh, now we've just got to go uh, get Riley's wedding band, uh, mail out invitations, which I believe Riley did most of this week, and then get some things like catering. Um, and some other things situated. Um, got a weekend coming up in a month, exactly a month from today, actually, uh, with my groomsmen, uh, where we'll get our tuxes, and I'm I'm really really excited for that. Um, uh, three of my groomsmen, uh, Justin, Rob, and Austin, they all live out of town. Um, Justin and Rob are in northern Kentucky, near Cincinnati, and Austin's in Louisville, so it'll be really really cool to see them again um, because I haven't in a long time. Um, I've seen Austin and Rob both once since 2019 when I graduated from Georgetown, and uh, I haven't seen Justin since graduation, so it'll be it'll be good to see them all again. I'm excited a lot. Um, Justin's going to be my best man, and um, Austin and Rob are going to be next to me on my big day, along with uh, Zach, Harlan, and Logan of my uh, Fleet Geek Running Club, so get all my guy friends together, and it'll be, it'll be really fun. Um, they're all going to be a fun time together. Uh, Riley and I are also looking at and dealing with the stress of finding uh, living arrangements for after we're married. You know, it's kind of a weird climate right now with the economy. So it's like, you know, do we want to buy a house? Do we rent? Um, You know, where do we want to live? How are we going to arrange everything? Um, So there's just a lot to it. Um, We're getting it figured out and I'm excited. Uh, You know, mostly regardless of the stress, I'm just really excited to spend my life uh, with the woman of my dreams. And, uh, you know, that's the important part, so I'm excited. Let's move on to my career. Um, As any of my repeat listeners know, in November 2021, I made the decision to quit my job in transportation and uh, pivot to my dream of becoming an IT specialist. That has been the absolute best decision I could have ever made. Um, I'm much happier. I love the work I do, um, and I've made some great connections and friends at work. Uh, I've got one coworker, Jared. He's uh, he's a really good guy. Uh, he's a great mentor. He knows a lot of his stuff, and I'm just really lucky to have the opportunity to learn from uh, everybody at work. Um, but especially having someone uh, like that who is a much higher position than me, but works in the same office as me, and I can just kind of sponge information off of him. I love it. Um, I'm working on a few certifications now uh, to learn more and get some new knowledge about more stuff in the back end side of IT. Uh, right now, I do technician work and uh, help desk at uh, my employer. 
Um, I work on computer hardware and troubleshoot software issues, but I'm really enjoying learning more of the administrative side to it and how things work the way they do. Um, I'm actually here recently taken over um, being the manager of our uh, help desk software, and I've had some fun challenges with that, but it's really cool to learn how all of that integrates with the rest of our systems and how it works. Finally, um, <clears throat> I'm doing some side gig work and earning some money while helping people locally with their computer issues at home. Uh, it's a rewarding gig. Um, I love to be able to make a difference in my local community, um, and I really just enjoy finding you know, hands-on problems and getting in, fixing them, um, and like I said, just helping people. Uh, if you all do hear background noise, my apartment is next to an airport, so I do apologize for that. Also, sometimes my dog likes to sing the songs of his people. It's just a fun time. Um, I just built a second computer that I'm uh, getting ready to sell to a good friend of mine who is actually the boyfriend of my younger sister. And so that'll be fun, too. Uh, just a lot of good stuff going on lately. Um, you know, the one final update I want to share about me is that uh, I've hired a coach. So uh, 2022 was a massive improvement for me in running. Um, I focused on building strength, preventing injury, and getting faster in like shorter distances, like 5Ks. Um, I actually ran a really good mile at the end of December that really I just didn't expect at all. Um, but uh, long story short, uh, 2021 was really bad. 2022 focused more on like building strength, like I said, um, speed work. And it paid off. Um, I broke 20 minutes in the 5K for the first time since 2018, and I um, ran a 5:15 mile in December, which I hadn't run faster than like 5:50. So that just re that really just shocked me. But I was really proud of it. Um, I've got 15 years of 5K training experience, both in high school, college, uh, pre high school, and I just ran on my own, um, and then after the fact. So I know more or less what works for me as far as uh, 5K training. However, my goal for 2023 is much bigger, which we've talked about. Um, I want to qualify for the Boston Marathon. The time to beat for my age group is three hours, so you've got to run it in under three hours. But realistically, uh, you've got to run about five minutes under that uh, to ensure you make the cutoff because they only take so many people. So I don't have any experience training to race a marathon. I have run three marathons in my lifetime, but I've never actually raced one. And there is a difference. I know some people think, run to some people, any kind of running is hard running um, but for me there's a difference between like running a fast marathon and running a marathon um, so I and I knew that based on my past training for them um, if I want to hit my goals I need some help because more more often than not I would train I'd think I'd have something good going for me and then for better or worse I just wouldn't be able to stick to it or didn't know what to do I just couldn't get there sorry I'm drinking some water um, hydrate or dehydrate I had a long work day today put in about nine and a half hours and haven't had the chance to really focus on hydrating and stuff today. Um, but back to my running stuff. So I knew I needed a coach and thankfully uh, my good friend and longtime competitor from high school and college, uh, Corbin Harris, he's coaching people now. Um, Corbin is currently the head cross country <coughs> track and field. Yep. There's my dog. Corbin is currently the, uh, head, uh, cross country and track and field coach at Campbellsville university. Um, and he coaches people on the side now with his group, uh, for glory running. And, you know, he's run a sub two hour, 25 minute marathon. Um, and I just know he has the knowledge and experience to get me where I want to be. Um, you know, I, I'm excited to trust the process and build something big with him. Um, and I can't wait to see what happens in 2023 under his coaching. I think it'll be really good for me so far. He's been really good at challenging me, but also, listening to me and where I'm at and how I'm feeling and we've tailored my training based on that. So yeah, that's that's pretty much all I have about myself. Um, so let's transition over to some sports topics, which I just, there's been so much happening um, this week in sports that I just, I cannot let this go. Um, so let's get to it. So um, anybody who has been around the last week that knows anything about football knows that um, former New England Patriots quarterback and Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady uh, announced his retirement. Now, he'll never hear this episode, obviously, but I have some thoughts to share um, on the greatest quarterback ever, 
Tom Brady. Uh, like I said, in case anyone hasn't seen it, he announced his retirement again from the NFL after 23 seasons. As much as last year did not feel like it was truly the end, this year does. This past year, you could see in it, you could see it in how he carried himself, and how he played. Um, that he just he wasn't the same. Uh, his heart wasn't in it like it had been. Uh, you could just tell. There were major things happening in his personal life due to his return, and this really does just feel like the end. Um, he posted a video on his Twitter and Instagram. Um, thanking every like he literally just got straight to the point and he was thanking everyone and as he was thanking everyone he got really emotional like he's he was choking choking up a bit and beyond that you could just tell like he got so agitated really fast this season and just things did not go well the Buccaneers finished the season eight and ten when you count their playoff loss and they were just never they were never a team that you're like oh they're gonna win the Super Bowl so you know as much as much as he made me mad growing up for just absolutely killing my team, seriously, I can count on one hand the number of times I remember my Titans beating him. Uh, just three. He was 7-3 and three against the Titans in his career. Um, I can't help but feel a little gratitude. Um, gratitude that I got to grow up watching the unquestionable greatest quarterback to ever play the game. It's something that I'm learning to appreciate more as I get older and I see my childhood idols get older and retire. You know, we will never, ever see another quarterback get to 10 Super Bowls or win seven of them. We'll never see someone stay with a team for 20 years and win six Super Bowls and then go to another team and lead them to a Super Bowl in his first year in the middle of a pandemic where they can't even practice together. Tom Brady has so many, pass has so many records. Um, from the NFL's all-time passing yards leader, um, he retired, assuming he doesn't come back randomly for a team for a couple games because they need a quarterback. He's retiring with 89,214 passing yards, and that's the NFL record, to the all-time passing touchdowns leader with 649 touchdowns. He's got three MVPs. He has seven Super Bowls, which is one more than any NFL team has in their history. He played 23 years and was a top five quarterback in every year but this last one that he was healthy. And he's just truly embodied what it means to be dedicated to the game. Regardless of any issues I've ever had with him on or off the field, um, I've always thought he was a little cutthroat, a little arrogant sometimes. Um, but I just I can't deny the greatness he displayed on the football field. Um, I don't I don't typically get super wordy um, when players I like retire or, or just players in general retire because for the most part like I accept that it's a part of the game but this one just hits different you know it's like we grew up and literally for the 20 years he was in New England you just expected the Patriots to be in the Super Bowl and you know basically from like 20 10 2013 or so onward he was in the Super Bowl every other year you know I just it hit different last year when he retired the first time and then he even though he announced his comeback came back played a year and even now I'm more prepared for him, him retiring again it still hits different I'm just I'm just so grateful that I got to grow up watching the greatest to ever do it um, all of that just to say thank you Tom Brady enjoy retirement and we are just truly lucky that we got to witness something like this. You know, something like watching the greatest player in any particular sport to play. You know, growing up, I didn't get to see Michael Jordan play much. You know, I was born in 1996, so by the time I was old enough to really watch what was happening was when he was on the Wizards. And, you know, don't get me wrong, it was cool seeing MJ and, like, I knew what I'd been told about how he had been so amazing, but I wasn't alive to see that. You know, I've gotten to grow up watching LeBron, watching Tom Brady, but it's just, it really is just special. So, uh, I want to move on to another NFL story, and this are my, these are my thoughts on the Bengals and Chiefs AFC Championship game. Now... Anybody who is a Bengals fan or pretty much anybody who is not a Chiefs fan has been claiming for the last week that the uh, 
the game was rigged, the NFL's rigged, you know, the Bengals got screwed by the refs. My hot take, the refs are not solely to blame for the loss, but they certainly did not help. I know. It's hard to stomach that, Bengals fans. For me, watching it, I was upset, I was angry, I was heartbroken for the Bengals, and I was shocked at what, the, what I saw with the calls that happened. I mean, the repeat third down where Kansas City literally had a third and nine, ran a play, um, you know, at the time we couldn't see the ref run in, but like they ran the play, the play wasn't successful, it was fourth down, the Chiefs were on the field to punt, and then all of a sudden we're hearing the announcers like, what's happening? And then they're announcing over the ref's microphones that they actually blew the play dead and they're going to redo third down. The Chiefs go for third down again. Um, you know, whatever, that play, that drive continues. But that was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in an NFL game. You know, there were the most multiple missed holding calls, really on both teams, but there was one ugly one on Trey Hendrickson of the Bengals on the run that um, Osai, the lineman, got the late hit, late hit penalty on Patrick Mahomes. Joe Burrow got an intentional grounding on a pass that hit close to Samaj P. Ryan. Looking back at it, I kind of understand, um, and I'll explain in a minute, but it still, it still was weird, especially when Mahomes had a very similar pass um, a little later that, like I said, it looked exactly the same way, but, um, at, in the moment, um, but he didn't get an intentional grounding flag. You know, we can talk about those, uh, for sure, uh, but it's not going to change anything. I mean, you know, Osai did hit Mahomes late and that is a flag by the letter of the law. The repeat third down as weird as it was. I mean, that was the right call. The ref did blow the play dead as we saw on the replay. Um, you know, my, I just, I'm confused on why every ref didn't commit to that and run in and try to stop that play more than just that one. But my big issue with that one is that the head official said into the mic, please start the game clock and the play clock on my signal, and then blew the whistle, and then claimed afterwards that the clock wasn't supposed to be running because the play before that was an incomplete pass. So it technically, yes, the clock should not have been running. That was the right call 10 out of 10 times to uh, redo the down because the clock was running. But why did the ref say that and then claim afterwards that it was wrong when he is the one who said it? It was just, it was very weird. That's one of those pen That's one of those mistakes that like, you know, I'm not a big believer in, like, the NFL is rigged, but that's one of those mistakes where that happens, and it, it, it certainly, like, it's easier to listen to those arguments when you see something like that, and you're just like, what on earth am I watching? You know, after, after watching it back and having someone explain it to me, uh, Joe Burrow's intentional grounding was, by the letter of the law, just that. P. Ryan was beyond the line of scrimmage. And the pass did not get tipped, and it did not get to the line of scrimmage because Joe Burrow just dirted it after getting pressure. So technically, by the letter of the law, that's intentional grounding. Mahomes' pass wasn't because he was hit as he threw. His pass didn't get to the line of scrimmage, but Travis Kelsey came back and was kind of close to the line of scrimmage, but McKinnon was also behind the line of scrimmage. And so there were receivers in the area and that's what I've seen as the explanations for those, and they, I guess they make sense to me. I still feel like P. Ryan was in the area, and it was kind of a soft call, but I, I can see it after having it explained, as much as I hated it in the moment. And then we get to the missed calls. You know, missed calls happen in every game. Yes, both teams had gotten away with some pretty egregious holding all game, but they hadn't been calling it, so I wasn't shocked that it wasn't called on the Mahomes scramble that Osai pushed him on. They missed the block in the back penalty on the punt return, and that is unfortunate because it gave KC some great field position. And, and I mean, yes, Hendrickson was held. That was an egregious hold that should have been called, but they hadn't been calling it, so I wasn't shocked. Um, the block in the back on the punt return, Kansas City got some great field position because of the return. The one that, the one that was bad for me was Joe Burrow was absolutely hit late in his own end zone. Um, he threw the ball. And then the defender took three full steps after he threw the ball and pushed him down. Um, I've heard people claim that the Bengals' offensive lineman pushed him into Burrow, but I just I've watched the replay. I can't tell you how many times. 
and I just don't see it. Maybe I'm not seeing the right angle, but I just do not see him get pushed. Um, as a fan of the game, I just I hate seeing stuff like this happen um, because it just felt like it determined the outcome of the game. Uh, like I said, it does feel like it gives a little bit of credibility to the, its rigged arguments. However, you know what else contributed to the outcome of the game? Kansas City outplayed Cincinnati uh, when it mattered most. Both teams were down many key players. Um, I mean, the Bengals were down three starters on the offensive line. They lost, um, They lost. I think it was Higgins that they lost early. Um, and it just came down to who wanted it more. You know, Kansas City was down to their third-string receivers. Mahomes was hobbled. Kelsey was not even sure he was going to play two hours before the game. Um, and Cincinnati's, oh, like, I, you know, it comes down to want to, and Cincinnati's offensive line got run over on every down in the first half, it felt like. They, they protected Burrow pretty well the last 10 games or so of the season. But Burrow, I mean, it felt like he got sacked back four to four back-to-back plays. Um, Burrow also threw, he threw two interceptions. One of them was more of an arm punt uh, than a bad throw. You know, they were going to end up punting the ball anyway, and he just had one that he got rid of, It got, and it just got picked off. Um, you know, he did have that other throw um, to Higgins, and it was a bad throw. It was underthrown, it got tipped up by one defender, and then the other Kansas City defender picked it off. You know, that killed their momentum on that drive. They were pushing to score. Um, the other thing that killed them, Joe Mixon had eight carries for 19 yards. Samaj P. Ryan, I love him. He had five carries for 22 yards. When Joe Burrow, your quarterback, he's a mobile quarterback, but when Joe Burrow is your leading rusher with four carries for 30 yards, you're in trouble. Uh, Cincinnati had been a great rushing team all year, and they did not do that well when they needed. Um, they did not capitalize on the opportunities they had, and penalties aside, they came out flat in the first quarter. There was a lack of energy, and they played like they were nervous. Look, Mahomes was great, playing on a hurt ankle, and it was obvious that it bothered him, but Cincinnati was in that game despite their issues, and if they just play close to their potential, they win that game by 14. Um, I hate seeing penalties crush a team, and they were called for five more than penalties in the Chiefs. It was nine penalties on the Bengals to four on the Chiefs. But Cincinnati just could not get out of their own way. Too many three of outs, too many three and outs, too many misplays. And in that game versus that team and that quarterback, sometimes it just comes down to one play. And Cincinnati couldn't make that play when they needed to. You know, I'm so very excited uh, to see what's next for Cincinnati uh, because I still think they're a sleeper candidate for the best overall team in the NFL. Um, they do need to have a good offseason. Um, they got some key pieces they need to bring back. They need to have a good draft to beef up the O-line and maybe even pick up a running back. It also might be time to look at moving on from Joe Mixon. Uh, he's just not the same guy he was. Uh, Cincinnati has the quarterback. They've got the coach. I think they'll be good for years to come. Um, you know, good luck to the Chiefs and the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Cincinnati will be back. Uh, you know, going back to offseason ideas now, let's move on to my team, shall we? Let's look at my ideas for the Tennessee Titans 2023 offseason. So I'm going against the grain a little bit here. Um, I don't think Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, obviously Tom Brady retired, and I wrote this take before Tom Brady had announced his retirement, but I still want to keep him in here. Um, but Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, like quarterbacks, are not the solution for the Titans' issues. I'm not taking anything away from what Tom Brady has accomplished in the league. I think he's the undisputed GOAT, and it's not even close as far as quarterbacks go. I, but I just think that, A, Brady had plenty of better other options that are ready to win now, and B, Brady was just not a good fit in Tennessee as currently constructed. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers, again, kind of the same thing. He's older. He doesn't move as well as he used to. He's got other options with better weapons, um, you know, and he just would not be a good fit in Tennessee either. Aaron Rodgers spent all season complaining about his new receivers um, and how he couldn't get on the same page as them. And he, I mean, you know, he would do the same thing here. We'd get another rookie receiver to compliment Tra uh, Traylon Burks, and Aaron Rodgers would be learning a new system. It's just not a good fit. We can't afford uh, to lose some of our key pieces, like Jeffrey Simmons or Kevin Byard or any of these other uh, key pieces on defense or offense 
which are the majority of the reason we were even in any of the games we've been in this year. Uh, going for a more athletic quarterback like Trey Lance, I think just gives us a better chance of building a better team moving forward. Meanwhile, giving us the wiggle room, we need to address more glaring issues on the team. <clears throat> now, I might get flamed for this uh, if anybody who listens to this cares. But Ryan Tannehill has not been the biggest issue on the Titans. Look, Ryan Tannehill's not a world beater. I don't think we're disputing that. He's not Joe Burrow. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen. But calling him the problem is not being honest with yourself about the Titans. It's always been the play calling and the offensive line underperforming or being injured, you know, dropped passes, Derrick Henry being hurt. There's always been something that just hasn't gotten it done. And I've always believed that while Tannehill's not, like I, like I said, I would much rather have an elite quarterback. Tannehill's one of those quarterbacks that if you give him the right pieces and everything goes perfectly, he can win a Super Bowl. He can. He took us to the AFC Championship, and yes, he threw for 88 yards in one of the playoff games on the way there. Derrick Henry carried us, but Tannehill played well enough to not get us beat. <clears throat> I think that's overlooked. So, that is where um, our problems become glaring. The Titans' traditional brand of football, the smash, exotic smash-mouth football, is no longer the way to win in the present-day NFL. We get torched by explosive offenses because we don't have the players to keep up with the pace. Our defense is the main reason we're a contender in all these games because they can stifle the threats present by other teams, and Tannehill, when he has protection and good weapons, can do just enough to win it for us. Brady doesn't want to take hits anymore. Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to take hits. And, you know, as far as Brady goes, and honestly Aaron Rodgers too, because the Packers missed the playoffs too, they just can't extend plays anymore at a constant basis the way younger guys can. You can't roll out. Um, I, it's funny that I wrote this. I wrote this take in my script um, before Brady announced his retirement. But Brady has been the best quarterback to ever play in the NFL. But I honestly do believe that unless he can go to, like, San Francisco, Miami, or another team ready to win now, good O-line, good weapons, they just need the quarterback, he needs to retire because he just can't do it consistently like he did five years ago. I wrote this, and then two days later, he actually retired. <clears throat> Our offensive line is absolutely the reason why Tannehill got hurt. Malik Willis looked like a middle schooler out there, and Derrick Henry couldn't do anything near what he's been in the past. Like I said, Tannehill, he's not elite, but it's hard to be successful when you're looking at the other team's helmet in your chin 0.3 seconds after snapping the ball. I mean, the clips of Dennis Daly, our backup O-lineman, our left tackle, is just getting pushed over by it like a toddler. But, like, those are just so bad. Like, our O-line is decent when they're healthy, but when studs like Lewan, like Taylor Lewan can't stay healthy anymore, and we, you know, we need to address those issues. And Brady proved in Tampa this year that he can't get it done without great weapons. You know, Aaron Rodgers proved in Green Bay he can't get it done without great weapons. You know, they kind of, Green Bay kind of went on a decent streak towards the end of the year, but they got bounced by the Lions. You know, we definitely have a better run game than uh, those two teams, but our O-line would have Brady or Rodgers just throwing passes in the dirt over and over again because otherwise they're going to get retired in one hit. And Traylon Burks and uh, Okonkwo would be great targets for them, but we lack anything else to give those two more chances to get open. Now, that being said, let's move on to my ideas for possibly changing things up for the Titans in 2023. Idea number one, retool around a new quarterback in 2023. <laughs> Man, this is just a spicy podcast today. Hot take. I think the Titans should consider getting Jared Goff or Trey Lance. Jared Goff has proven that he can be an elite quarterback. You know, he was a top five quarterback this season in the league with the Detroit Lions. Don't argue with me. Go look at the stats. He was a top five quarterback with the Detroit Lions. He's been to a Super Bowl. He's been to an NFC Championship game. And Trey Lance who was widely regarded as a great pick, albeit a little unknown, has so much potential, and I think if we get him on his rookie deal, we can afford to pay for better pieces around him to make him successful. 
uh, with Goff, you're going to get a little more expensive. But you can pair him with Derrick Henry and Hassan Haskins. And then you get a lineman in the first round. You can take like Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee in the second round to pair with Traylon Burks. You've got Oconquo and Hooper at tight end. And we do have a solid, solid defense that can be a top five defense. I think you make the, one of those two moves. And this is much less of a rebuild and more of a retool. You know, you go with Goff, then the Detroit benefits in getting Tannehill, who's a great veteran to mentor a young first-rounder and has proven to be serviceable. He can get you to the playoffs when he's healthy. You could send Tannehill and a few picks to the Lions, who could address their defensive concerns, and they could draft Will Levis or one of the other quarterbacks who they've been projected to get. If you go the Trey Lance route, San Francisco is able to solve their Brock Purdy-Trey Lance commitment dilemma and have Jimmy G as a great backup to Purdy. Uh, you'd likely have to give up draft capital for him as San Francisco would have no need for Tannehill, but I think it could work. Uh, Trey Lance just feels redundant in San Francisco with Brock Purdy being as good as he's been, and Jimmy G is a more reliable backup. Now, <laughs> once again, this is a case of I wrote this script before things happened this week. Initially, I wanted to record this podcast before now, but here we are. So, obviously, we have that clip of... We have that clip of Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers GM talking about how Jimmy G is not coming back. There's no role for him on the 49ers. Brock Purdy is obviously out for a lot of next year because he's got to have Tommy John surgery. Um, Trey Lance is out. With, I think it was a broken foot or something like that that he was out with for a while. So the Tannehill side of that trade would still make sense, but Trey Lance, you would just be taking a risk. Um it's a bit up in the air. Um, I still think it would personally be a good trade for both teams. Um, you know, Tannehill would be a very serviceable quarterback while you wait on while you wait on Lance and Purdy to get healthy. Um, so you could have Tannehill playing with San Francisco. I mean, that's that's exactly what Tannehill would need to be successful. Is just a good solid bunch of pieces around him. Um, you know, Brock Purdy gets healthy. Tannehill can mentor him. Tannehill would be a great mentor figure. You know, Trey Lance comes to Tennessee, gets healthy. The Titans get to put Malik Willis in. Or, I mean, they've got Joshua Dobbs, too. Like, you know, you've got options there where you keep one, you get rid of the other. And, you know, Josh Dobbs, I think, would be a serviceable backup. Or, you know, you put Malik Willis in next year um, while you wait on Trey Lance to get healthy, and you find out exactly what you took and what you've got uh, Malik Willis. Colin Cowherd swears by... You know, you give a quarterback till the Thanksgiving of their second year, and that's when you see what they are. And, you know, Malik, I know he had a lot of question marks this year, mostly because the Titans weren't healthy. But next year you get people back, you get healthy, you get some pieces around him. I think you just put him in, you see, because you don't want to commit to him long term if he's not going to be a serviceable quarterback. Personally, I think the 49ers and the Titans trade deal still makes sense. Um even with Brock Purdy hurt, I think San Francisco could use a veteran quarterback like Tannehill um, who could be a placeholder since they don't want to keep Jimmy G. Tannehill's someone who, he's he's older, he's not going to expect a huge salary, um, and he could come in on like a veteran deal and kind of know, I'm going to get a really good position to finish out my career. I do feel like these are win-win deals uh, for each team. They're swapping conferences. You don't have to worry about those trades toasting you more often than potentially twice in one season. You know, if you play in the potentially regular season matchup and then if you were to somehow both make the Super Bowl. On to idea number two. And this one makes me a little sad. Um, but my second idea is to potentially move Derrick Henry. I think um, for my idea of a retooled offense and a new identity to work, you consider listening to trade offers for Derrick Henry. Now... If any Titans fans are listening to this, before you tear me up, hear me out. One of the best options, or one of the best opinions from I've seen is from a family friend of mine, Mark. He said, you know, Derrick Henry's aging. He's got a big salary coming up with his new contract. You know, I agree with that. And while he is still shoving people down by their faces currently, we all saw that he lost a step this year. He Not, not like an Ezekiel Elliott kind of fall but just enough that he just doesn't dominate everything in his path with the same consistency. Defenses are getting better, and I've seen Derrick Henry get rocked several times this year or just not break the kind of tackles he used to shed. That being said, he could still be a super productive piece for a team like, eh, I don't know, like you know the Dallas Cowboys or the Buffalo Bills or someone in need of a run game addition. 
he's still a top three running back. So he'd command some good return value, and you'd free up some much-needed cap space for other good pieces to surround your quarterback with next year. Now, if I'm the GM, I'm moving off of Tannehill unless he's willing to restructure the remaining year of his deal and become a back-off, get or a backup. I'm getting Trey Lance or Jared Goff or another younger good quarterback, and then I'm using my remaining draft capital to get an O-line piece, uh, maybe two, wide receiver, another corner, and maybe another power running back to complement Hilliard and Haskins. And also, honestly, a hot take, but maybe a kicker in the seventh round because Randy Bullock is not getting any younger. And honestly, I would consider taking calls for Derrick Henry because you can get some good picks or players for him to better complement a new offensive style. Do right by him and send him somewhere where he can be successful. I think Buffalo or Dallas, um, teams that are more defensive and run needy uh, would be good fits for him. But I'd be willing to listen to other good landing spots too. Um, plus, they both have the draft capital and pieces that they could send. Example, Dallas gives us a first uh, Gallup, Michael Gallup, and maybe another like fourth, third, or like a fourth round or fifth round pick. I take that in a heartbeat. You know, Michael Gallup gives us a veteran wide receiver to have some flashy plays and be a threat opposite of Burks. Uh, meanwhile, Derrick Henry gets to take the place of Zeke and be much more productive for Dallas and let Tony Pollard be the, the pass-catching back, and he's a fast back. It's a good fit for both teams, and I think it works. Option number two for Buffalo, you know, you trade him to Buffalo, they send you, say, um, hang on. Um, Buffalo, I'd say maybe, like, you get Isaiah McKenzie, the wide receiver. He's their third or fourth option behind maybe Dawson Knox. But the Buffalo's obviously not giving up Stephon Diggs or Gabe Davis. Dawson Knox is probably safe. But you get Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, he'd be a good number two receiver. You could maybe get their corner, Christian Benford. Um, you know, if you don't get Benford, you could maybe get a second or third round pick in 2023 to go along with McKenzie. And then a 2024 fourth. Um, Buffalo honestly might be an easier sell in my combination or in my opinion, because uh, Henry and Singletary would be a solid combination with Derek with uh, James Cook showing promise. It'd be interesting. Um, it'd be interesting to say the least. So that's kind of my ideas on the Titans. Um, regardless of what they end up doing, and regardless of if any of my picks become come to fruition or if I'm just being crazy, um, they need to make some moves. I think it became very apparent this year that you know we started out seven and three, and then all, all of our starters got hurt essentially, and we lost eight straight games. And it's just clear that it's just not our. Or we lost seven straight games, and it's just clear that it's not. It's not something we can we can live with anymore. Let's get to some NBA. Um, let's end let's end this podcast episode with some NBA takes. Now, um, as it stands now, LeBron James is 63 points away from passing NBA legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the NBA's all-time leading scorer. This is a record that has been widely accepted as unbreakable, and yet here we are in the 20th se season of LeBron James, and he's two to five games away from breaking that record, and he's still going. Like, that's the crazy part. Um, you know, it's not like LeBron said in an interview the other day, he's not really stressed about the record because it's not a question of if he's going to break, break the record. He's going to. It's just when. That's just insane to me. So I'll, take, I'll talk more later on this take, but for me, LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time. I understand the argument for Jordan. And I liked Nick Wright adding Kareem into the mix with his 50 best players of the last 50 years. But for me, it's LeBron. The sheer way, which, granted, let me, let me just state, Nick did have uh, LeBron as the greatest, but he had Kareem number two and MJ number three. For me, it's LeBron. Um, the sheer way that LeBron has dominated the league for so long, the fact that for 20 straight years, he has been a consensus top three to five player for at least 15, or and for at least... 15 of those years, he was the best player in the league. He's top 10 in every stat. Um, that's not entirely true, actually. Let me just check in myself here. I said top 10 in every stat, and then I didn't go back and check that. He's top, He's 
going to be number one all-time in scoring. He's fourth all-time in assists. Uh, he's not, I don't think, in the top ten for rebounding. So that's probably something I should have checked. I apologize for that. He's got four regular season MVPs. He's got four finals MVPs. He went to eight straight NBA finals with two different teams. He carried the 2007 and the 2018 Cav Cleveland Cavaliers to the finals. Was the youngest player ever to reach the milestones all the way from 1,000 career points to 38,000 career points. So 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, all the way to 38,000. He's the youngest player to ever do that. He's won four NBA championships of the 10 he's been to. Was the first player ever to lead three separate franchises to the NBA uh, to an NBA title. He became part of the first team ever to overcome a 3-1 to -one deficit in the NBA Finals. And outside of the 2011 Finals, he was the best player on the floor in every playoff series he's been in. LeBron's the greatest driver of the basketball you've ever seen. He gets going to the basket, nobody can stop him. He's in year 20, throwing down highlight dunks and running through defenders like the dominant force he's always been. In his prime, he was a great defender. He would absolutely harass anyone and everyone he guarded. In 2016, he delivered the block heard around the world on a layup attempt by Andre Iguodala to save the 3-1 comeback. You, you already know Mike Breen on the call. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. It's just, it's nuts. His basketball IQ and court vision, they're unmatched. And he is the best passer of the ball since Magic Johnson. And I honestly believe when you combine his athleticism and his scoring with his defense, his passing and IQ, his history, his stats, everything, you get a better player than Magic. You get a better player than Michael Jordan. I know Jordan was 6-0 in the finals. And he captivated the world as the flashy, highlight reel player. He took over the league. But I think... And it can't, I think it can't be ignored that he retired mid-prime. For some reason, people hold it against LeBron that Jordan retired and then came back. He had two years off to rest his body and come back ready to roll. The argument I always hear is, well, if Jordan hadn't retired, he'd have gone to eight straight finals and been 8-0. You know, we do not know that he would have been 8-0, and, and you just can't, you can't use what-ifs for those arguments. That just It makes me mad because people use this hypothetical, oh, Jordan would have been 8-0 if he, if he doesn't retire. Well, he did retire. Like, I think the Rockets the Rockets that won in 94 and 95, I think they could have beaten those Bulls teams in those middle two years. You know, it's hard. There's a lot of attrition. Michael Jordan retired because he was exhausted. He was physically, emotionally, mentally drained. He, you know, there was a lot going on, and he just was burned out. And I think, you know, if you get two more years there, I think maybe he goes to six straight and wins six straight, but... I don't think he wins all eight. I just don't. Um, it's clear that outside of the Dallas Mavericks in 2011 and maybe Oklahoma City in 2012, the teams that LeBron faced in the finals are way better than the teams that Jordan faced in the NBA finals. I would argue maybe that 2020 Miami Heat team should fall into that category as well, but everything else he faced way better than anything Jordan faced. Let's look at those teams. So LeBron faced... In 2007, on the Cleveland Cavaliers, the first time, he faced the San Antonio Spurs with Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, and Tony Parker in their prime. He got swept. No shame in that. Um, Tim Duncan is widely regarded as a top 15 player of all time. Tony Parker and Gin Manu Ginobili both made the top 50, or the top 75 list. When he was on the Miami Heat, you know, the 2011 Dallas Mavericks, he played. They had Dirk Nowitzki, Jason Kidd, a um, few other players on that team that were really good. But no one – that is one of those years that I think it was a big upset. Um, 2012, his first championship that he won, he played the Oklahoma City Thunder with Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka. I think they were the better team Miami was there because the OKC Thunder were just very inexperienced. You know, those players were all young um, I just I think Miami was just the better team there. Get to 2013, uh, he beat the San Antonio Spurs with uh, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, and Kawhi Leonard. Um, that one, I think the Spurs were the better team. I think they proved that in 2014 when they rematched and they won. Um, but, you know, Ray Allen hits the shot in Game 6 as they've got the NBA Championship trophy in the hallway to give to the Spurs. Then LeBron goes off in Game 7. 
overcomes that. They win in 2013. Then he goes back to Cleveland. Um, 2015, they played the Golden State Warriors with Kevin, with uh, Steph, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. Um, but LeBron lost Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love before the uh, rest of the finals happened. And so one player versus those can only do so much. Uh, 2016, he obviously had the 3-1 to one comeback against the Golden State Warriors with Steph Clay and Draymond. He had Kevin Love and Kyrie this time. <clears throat> Arguably one of the greatest finals ever. But I do think that Golden State team was better. They won 73 games that year. They were 73-9. and nine. They beat the Chicago Bulls' all-time record. 17-18, and 18, we got the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, 2017 finals and the 2018 finals, we had the Cavs rematching the Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, and Draymond Green. I'm sorry, but people hold that against LeBron saying, well, if you're the GOAT, you've got to win that. You cannot tell me that even if he is the greatest player of all time, that you know he can beat a team with four Hall of Famers. Because I, I don't care what you say. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, they are all going to be Hall of Famers. Draymond Green has won four championships as the, uh, as the facilitator on that team. I think he will make the Hall of Fame. And then his last championship, he won against the Miami Heat with Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, all those guys. That one I think you could argue maybe the Lakers were the better team, but it was LeBron and Anthony Davis. Then you had a bunch of pieces that just fit really well against him, uh, or with them. Like, I mean, you got Alex Caruso, you got Danny Green, um, a lot of pieces that were just really good around them. Let's look at the teams that the Bulls faced in their uh, finals teams. The Bulls, their first time in 1990 to 1993, in the 91 finals, the Lakers. They played against the Lakers with Magic Johnson in his last season, and James Worthy was the only other notable player on that team. I think the Bulls were just way better. Um, Magic was still good, but Magic can't do it alone. James Worthy, I'm, I'm not taking away from James Worthy. He was a good player, but um, he's not Michael Jordan. Scott, he's not better than Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, all them. Um, 92, you get the Portland Trail Blazers with Clyde Drexler. Um, it was Clyde Drexler and a bunch of basically rec league players is what it seems like when you compare the Bulls to them. Uh, the Bulls were the way better team. 1993, you've got the Phoenix Suns with Charles Barkley and a bunch of nobodies. That's what it felt like. I'm sure there's going to be somebody to be like, well, you, I, this guy was great. No, it, it was the Bulls were a way better team. Then Michael Jordan retires. He comes back for three more he played against the Seattle Supersonics in 96 with Gary Payton and, again, a bunch of nobodies. Then 1997 and 1998 finals, they played against the Utah Jazz with John Stockton and Carl Malone. There are some big names on those teams that Jordan faced, but let's not act like the supporting cast around them were Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr, or Tony Kukoc. I'm not trying to take anything away from what Jordan did. He did dominate the league for 13 of his 15 seasons in terms of individual play. But outside of those two, three-year stretches, he was swept in the first round by the Bucks in 1985. He got hurt and got swept in the first round in 1986 by the Larry Bird Celtics. In uh, 1987, he came back, he dominated the regular season with 3,000 points, 200 blocks, and 100 steals, but got swept in the first round again by the Celtics. He lost in 1988 in the conference semifinals. Um, in 1989 in the conference semifinal, or no, he lost in 1988 in the conference semifinals, and then in 89 and 1990 in the Eastern Conference Finals, all to the Bad Boy Pistons led by Isaiah Thomas. Then, after winning three championships in a row, he retires, partly because of the death of his father, partly because of over being overwhelmed due to the stress of high-level basketball and celebrity status, and partly due to not wanting to play anymore. So he retires. The Bulls go 55-27 and 27 in the 1993 to 1994 season without him. As an aside, any time LeBron has left the team, they've been a shell of themselves afterwards. They've been a top draft pick contender because LeBron has always done more with less. This isn't meant as a knock on Jordan at all, but I think it should say something about which is the better player if one can retire and his team still makes the playoffs with a really good record and the other leaves 
and his team picks first overall the next two years. You know, Jordan, for his entire prime, had the much better supporting cast. He had Scottie Pippen, he had Dennis Rodman, uh, and other guys uh, being top 50 players. LeBron had Dwayne Wade, who at the time was aging and starting to show up by the end of that Miami run. He was still good, but he wasn't the D-Wade of like the late 2000s that was taking over uh, the league. He had Chris Bosh, who was never quite himself in the reduced role he played as the third option behind D-Wade and LeBron after he left uh, Toronto. You know, in Cleveland, he had Kyrie Irving, who has repeatedly shown that outside of having some flashy dribbles and the ability to score, uh, that he can't get it done in the biggest moments. Boston being Boston being better without him in the playoffs, one of the biggest uh, sins against him, you could say. And finally, Anthony Davis, who's made of glass despite being a great player, and Russell Westbrook, who is just the most confusing player I've ever seen. Russ is inconsistent and bull in China shop about how he plays. He's very hard to play with because he can't do anything without the ball in his hands. Um, but at the same time, he's averaged a triple-double four out of five years and is in contention for sixth man of the year this year. <laughs> like It just doesn't make any sense. One of LeBron's best strengths is his IQ in passing. It's hard to do all of that when Russ also needs the ball. Now that I've taken a brief step away from the topic like Jordan did with basketball, let's get back to it. If you hate me for that joke, I understand. Jordan returned to the Bulls in the middle of the 94-95 season, out of basketball shape but wanting to help a struggling Bulls team that was 31-31. and He came back rusty, but after a couple of games was being back to 85% of himself and led the Bulls to the playoffs again. They wound up losing the Orlando Magic in six games in the conference semis. Now we come to the second three-peat. The 95-96 Bulls have a strong argument to be the greatest team ever. They set a record of 72-10, which was the most wins by a team until Golden State went 73-9 in 2016. But the Bulls take the edge over the 15-16 Warriors due to closing the deal at the end. They went on a tear, losing three games in four series, culminating in a 4-2 finals win over the Seattle Supersonics led by Gary Payton. The 96-97 Bulls came up a game short of back-to-back 70-win seasons, and they went on to the finals where they met a Utah Jazz team that was led by John Stockton and Carl Malone, and they won in six games. They followed that up by getting back to the finals to end the three-peat and again facing the, the Jazz with Jordan hitting the game winner to put the Jazz down and win the, 98, 90, or the 97-98 NBA championship. In my notes, for some reason, I had 98-99, but that was a year later. <laughs> then he retired again. So Phil Jackson's contract was ending, and the Bulls' ownership wanted to move in another direction. Pippen and Rodman were free agents and weren't coming back. Uh, Michael didn't want to be a part of a rebuild, and at the time, he didn't want to play elsewhere. So he left the sport again, not returning until he returned as a part owner slash player for the Washington Wizards in 2000. He played decently for the Wizards the two years he was there, for 2001 to 2003. He eventually winded down to a bench roll in his last 20 games with the Wizards, and he never made the playoffs uh, on the Wizards. That being said, what a historic career. In all honesty, um, if LeBron James was never in the league, and he hadn't done what I've seen him do, Michael Jordan's career, you would, you, there would be no question he's the GOAT. I mean, there's a reason why up until LeBron has done what he's done, Jordan has been considered the GOAT. But LeBron is the greatest basketball player ever, and here are my reasons why. Number one, LeBron never retired during his prime. LeBron came of age in the social media era and has faced the most pressure of any high-profile athlete in history. He was lauded as the next MJ when he was a high school player, and he has more than lived up to that. MJ himself has said that if social media was a thing when he was playing, he doesn't know if he would have come back after his first retirement. LeBron has played for 20 straight years. You know, and that leads me into my number two reason. Number two, LeBron has been the most dominant player ever for the longest period of time, ever. LeBron has played 20 years, and you can really, you could only realistically make a case for up to five of them that he wasn't the best player in the league. I think Giannis was in 2021. Luka is in 2022-2023 right now, but Le I mean LeBron's still top three. Um, you know, Steph Curry won the first ever unanimous MVP in 2015-2016, and I wouldn't argue him being the best player in the league that year. Although, I mean, LeBron, again, won that finals that year, so you could argue against that. You know, voter fatigue. You know, there are realistically only one or two more times you could argue LeBron might not have been the best player. 
you know, voter fatigue is real, and he doesn't have the MVPs to back that claim up, but it's hard to argue watching what he's done. Heck, since he's turned 38 years old, he's averaging 35, 9, and 8 for points, rebounds, and assists, which is just a staggering number. LeBron's the most well-rounded basketball player in history. That's reason number three. I don't think you can argue that. I just don't. He can highlight dunk like Jordan. He can drive to the basket like nobody ever has. He can shoot a jumper. He's hit some really clutch shots. He can take over games. He can pass like Magic Johnson. He reads the other teams and makes everyone around him better. I've just I've never seen anything like LeBron is able to do on the court. I mean, people used to make jokes about LeBron playing all five positions on the floor when I was with some of these teams, and it's just it's nuts. Reason number four. LeBron has had more playoff successes than Jordan. I know, I know. Jordan fans will be like, 6-0, how can you say LeBron has more success with only four wins? Hear me out. LeBron went to ten finals. Jordan only went to six. LeBron was the best player on the floor in nine out of those ten finals. 2011 Dallas Mavericks are the only one where I'm going to knock him and say he wasn't the best player on the floor. You know, Jordan was the best player on the floor in six out of six finals he went to. But, again, LeBron was the best player on the floor in nine of them. LeBron, twice in his career, has carried absolutely abysmal teams to the finals. The, 20, the 2007 and 2018 Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, Jordan could not get past the conference finals without Pippen and Rodman. That's a fact. I listed them earlier, but he was swept in the first round three times. LeBron was swept for the first time in the first round in the 2021 playoffs. You know, that's just like that's just fact. Like Jordan, until he got Pippen and Rodman around him, could not get over the hump. LeBron carried teams to the finals. LeBron has never once walked away from a team, even with some horrendous teams, the Cavaliers the first time, 2019 Lakers, etc. LeBron has always fulfilled his contract obligations and has never demanded a trade or retired because of it. Heck, Jordan saw what the Bulls were going to become after that last championship and decided he didn't want to be a part of that. He made a business decision. He didn't want to embrace a new challenge, a new coach, new pieces around him, and he walked away. I, I still think that he was burnt out after that first three-peat run and after what he had done, and he just, didn't, he just couldn't handle it anymore. Plus, be honest, Jordan didn't want to be a part of anything that wasn't a championship-capable team without him after he had success. The Bulls went 55-27 and 27 and made the playoffs without him in the 94-95 retirement season when he came back. Jordan wasn't exactly walking back into the present-day Charlotte Hornets when he returned. I just don't agree that making the finals and losing is somehow worse than not making the finals. Jordan fans will tell me he went unblemished. He won all the finals he went to. LeBron got there four more times than Jordan. He got his team further than Jordan four more times. If LeBron only makes it to six finals and he goes four and two in those finals, then I would give you Jordan's got the better finals record. Or Jordan's got the better finals resume. But going further in the playoffs than another player, but losing, shouldn't count against you. You still had more success. I mean, we just saw this with TCU. They lost and they had an extra loss than some teams behind them. But those teams didn't make it to their conference championship game, and they did, and they lost, and that shouldn't count against you. You made it further than that other team. You know, Dirk Nowitzki always, Dirk Nowitzki, he said it best. Uh, MJ has always been the GOAT, but if LeBron passes Kareem for points, I'm running out of arguments for MJ. LeBron's 63 points away as of the recording of this podcast episode. He is going to pass Kareem. By the time he retires... He will be the, I mean, not, I'm saying will, but I mean, he could be the first NBA player ever to score 40,000 career points. Tom Brady retired this week, and it felt like the end of an era. I'm grateful that I got to grow up in the era of watching not one, but two athletes who are the greatest of all time in their respective sports. So let's just, you know, I want to, everybody's going to debate. Jordan's the GOAT, LeBron's the GOAT, Tom Brady's the GOAT. Let's just let's just enjoy the show while we still got it. You know, they're not going to be here forever. I mean, even Steph Curry, you know, Steph Curry's getting older. Um, you know, we're watching an age of athletes that we all grew up watching. We're watching them retire. Let's just enjoy them while they're around. We can talk about all that stuff later. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I appreciate everyone, and I'm glad that I'd be able to have a platform to ramble about my sports takes and other things that go on in my life. 
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an upload and reach out to me on my social media at runaboybp to let me know your thoughts. That's runaboybp, R-U-N-N-A-B-O-I-B-P. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening.